Hey, everybody. Good to be here with you today. Some pastors only preach, but you know, there's some who can lead worship and do a whole bunch of stuff. So, yeah, like Chris said, I'm from Australia originally. I came over here to finish some of my undergraduate studies, met a girl from San Diego. And uh, I should have put a photo of her up, but anyway, I fell in love with her, and we were married, and we, uh, then, then the Lord spoke to us to go to Colorado. We didn't know anyone out there, uh, but you know, when God speaks, you obey him, even if he doesn't make sense, because if it has to make sense, you eliminate faith. It's easier to, to say, God, make sense of this before I obey you, but he usually doesn't. Uh, and so, yeah, we went out there uh, 30-something years ago, and about 25 years into our time there, uh, we had something that happened that I wouldn't wish on anybody. A former student who had backslidden, was angry at God and the church, uh, came into our Youth with a Mission facility late at night and uh, pulled out a 9 millimeter pistol and shot four of our staff. Two of them died that night. girl from Minnesota in her early 20s, Tiffany Johnson, another guy from Alaska, Phil Krause, who's preparing to go as a missionary to Kazakhstan. <clears throat> you know, how could something like that happen in a Christian ministry? And why would God allow it to happen? You know, I, I found... Uh, as I travel around the world, and my main target audience of 18 to 25-year-olds, this, this is the main question they have. Uh, if God was truly just, they reason bad things would only happen to bad people. Uh, if God was love, as the Bible claims, you know, why do innocent people suffer? And there's no easy answer to those questions. Uh, but we found that through this tragedy, actually, uh, thousands of people came to Christ and, and rededicated their lives to Christ. And I set out to write the story of what happened. Uh, but you know how it is with the Lord sometimes. The Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, actually, I have a slightly different idea than you. And I felt like God wanted me to defend his character in the different types of suffering in the world. And so that's why I wrote this, when the shooting stopped. But really, it's where's God when we suffer? I narrowed it down to, to 10 sources of suffering in the world. And where's God amidst that? And looking at it through the lens of Scripture. Uh, to me, if it's not in the Bible, doesn't mean it's not... Uh, it's, it isn't necessarily something that should be discarded, but it's not worthy of major emphasis. If it's something that is important, God will have had it in his word. And so uh, I want to I talk to you today about one of the chapters. It's chapter 7 of these 10 sources of suffering. Uh, and the reason I've decided to talk about it today is because of its relevance to the time in which we're living. And we're going to look at a lot of scriptures uh, hopefully we get them all up. 
This guy worked tirelessly here for the next, for the last 45 minutes to an hour by putting the scriptures up. But, you know, yeah. <clears throat> but if they don't show up and you have a Bible, anyone have a Bible here? Okay, you Calvary Chapel, you should have one. If you don't have a Bible, just scoot over next to a Christian and uh, read along. <laughs> uh, okay, so, so the, yeah, this one chapter is chapter 7, and it is uh, the title then of what I want to talk to you about is The Battle Behind the Battle. I want to suggest to you that the the reality that most of the predominantly materialistic world around us believes is this is the reality, is not the ultimate reality. There's more going on usually behind the scenes. And uh, the explanation the Bible puts forth is that there is a cosmic battle that is taking place in the heavenly realm around us. It's a battle for... Uh, the hearts and minds of men, women, and children. Uh, it's a battle for cities, uh, for whole nations, a battle for nations. And ultimately, it's a battle for the right to rule this world. But it's not, it's not a physical battle. And that's why people that mainly believe in the things we can touch and see, which is our materialistic culture that, that is predominant in the West, uh, we minimize this and go, well, it's... Maybe it's not even happening, but it is taking place. So let's look at some of these scriptures. Uh, so the first is Ephesians 6, 12, uh, which tells us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood enemies, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. The word age there is the word eon in, in Greek. It's... It refers to a, a season or a period of time. I noticed as someone who didn't grow up in this country around Halloween, there was a season where Satan is engrandized through movies and books and everything, and he is empowered by the evil acts of human beings. Um, an eon then is a period of time. Interestingly enough, revival is also sometimes... Uh, happens over a period of time, and it's geographical in nature. Um, and so this is the word, the spirit of the darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Um, 2 Corinthians 10.4 uh, tells us that we are to fight in this battle, but the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. The word is sarkikos there, which means physical or earthly Okay, they're not tangible physical weapons, but they are powerful in God for this purpose, for pulling down strongholds. A stronghold is a place where Satan is empowered, often because people have given him that place to be there. And Satan is referred to in, in biblical nomenclature as, as the strong man. Okay, so strongholds, they're called strongholds because there's a strength, there, there's a power there. Now remember, greater is the one in us than the one who's in the world. But Satan still is powerful and we need to know how to fight him. The Apostle Paul said he wasn't naive of the devil's devices. We can't afford to be ignorant of what he is doing. Um, 
I find that often when I preach on this particular thing, there's all types of things that go wrong. Sorry, Chris, this morning, a whole bunch of things were going wrong here. And, uh, but I find that that's often the case because Satan hates for us to expose what is going on. I want to suggest to you, there is a battle going on for this city, for this nation in particular right now. There's a battle because this nation is a leader. If, if you were to travel to Europe, to Australia, New Zealand, other places around the world, people recognize that America is a leader. And when a leader falls, any kind of leader, a spiritual leader, it has a ripple effect that impacts many others. Um, so... Let's talk about the battle then. Uh, how did the battle begin? I, I'm a context person. How many, how many of you like context? Okay. I've been accused sometimes of giving too much context. You know, you ask me the time and I give you the history of the watch. Uh, I won't do that today. Um, Chris said that he only preaches for 20 minutes usually. Uh, no, he didn't say that. That's, he, that's not true. Actually, I was speaking in a Lutheran church uh, not too long ago, and they said, you have 19 minutes to bring the message. It's like, okay, I'm going to talk really fast. Um, so, context. Uh, let's go back in history, because history gives us a, a, an understanding of uh, often what is going on. So, Colossians 1.16 it tells us that God created everything that exists. Now, the, the, the skeptic would say, well, how can, you say, how can you say God created everything? Clearly, the planet is a lot older than the 6,000-year chronology of the human race. Uh, well, maybe there's things that God has not told us that happened. Uh, in fact, in Genesis 1 verse 2, the earth was formless and void. The word in Hebrew for was is literally had become. The earth had become formless and void. Maybe there were things that happened before God didn't tell us about. Or maybe he created it already old, right? Couldn't God create it with history just to kind of fool everybody. I mean, I think of how Jesus often would tell people, don't tell anyone that I healed you, you know. Sometimes God uh, doesn't want us to figure everything out, and uh, he could have created it already old. Uh, I mean, he, he's done that before. Think of, think of uh, Adam. How old was Adam when he was one day old? He wasn't a baby. He, he was a fully grown man in the prime of life. You know, somewhere in his fifth, uh, 20s. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, or, or think of Jesus' Jesus' first miracle. You remember his first miracle? It was at a wedding feast, right, in Cana of Galilee. What did he do? He changed the water into wine. But that wine didn't have time to ferment or mature. But according to the wedding guests, it was the best wine of the evening. See, God could do that, right? Maybe, maybe he did that with the earth. Now, I, so I have to tell you a joke that I heard the other day. Um, there's a priest. Okay, this is not the one of the pastor and the priest and the, uh, um, the rabbi. <laughs> yeah, that's a different one. Okay, so <laughs> this is just a priest. Okay, he's driving down the road and he's, <laughs> his car is just wandering a little bit and the, the sheriff 
flips on his lights, pulls him over to the side of the road, and he walks up to the driver's side window and he says, driver's license, and, read, and he notices it's a priest. And then he, he thinks he can smell alcohol, and he says, uh, excuse me, Father, but have you been drinking? And the, the priest says, no. And he says, what, what do you have in that container right there? And he says, it's just water. And, and he says, give me, give me that container. He gives it to him, and he opens it up, pours it out, and it's red wine. And, uh, and he looks at the priest, and the priest says, praise Jesus, he did it again. Um, <laughs> okay, so God, God, God created everything. Whether we can uh, cognitively figure this out through these little brains that we're told we only use 6% of these brains anyway, all things, the Word of God, which is the truth, tells us all things were created that are, uh, that are in heaven. I'll go, go back again. Uh, to the previous slide. Okay. That are in heaven and earth and, and two categories of God's creation. The things we can see, but there's a whole other part of God's creation that is invisible. And then the Apostle Paul goes on to tell us about four categories of spiritual beings with the thrones or dominions or principalities and, or powers. And here's, here's the part we can't afford to miss. They weren't bad guys to start with because all things were created through him and for him. But then things went sideways because God created these spiritual beings with free wills like us. Uh, one of the spiritual beings he created was called Morning Star or Shining One, or we're most familiar with his, his name in Latin, which is Lucifer. He was a beautiful cherub, we're told, and what was he like? Well, he, we find some descriptions of him in different parts of Scripture as you piece them together. But two specific passages sometimes are overlooked because of a case of mistaken identity. Uh, one of them is in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28. The prophet Ezekiel began prophesying, this is what many scholars believe took place. He began prophesying against an earthly king, and then very quickly he realized, wait a minute, this is not the, the king of Tyre who he was prophesying against. This is Satan, because he says, you were in the Garden of Eden. So he begins prophesying against this earthly king, uh, Ezekiel 28, verse 12 and then 13 he says but you were in the garden of eden and then he goes on to describe this this being who uh, is a covering cherub so he had a gift of leadership uh, who was very beautiful but he became proud and violent it says and uh, isaiah or isaiah if you're american uh Isaiah, for all the Australians here in the audience, uh, he had a similar prophecy where he had a vision. He, he, he saw the, the king of Babylon, and he began to prophesy against this king of Babylon. And then, again, he also realized, wait a minute, but this is the devil who's possessing him, or, or maybe the devil actually impersonating him, because angels have the ability to take on human form. Uh, 
Remember the, the three guys that showed up at Abraham's tent? One was God. The other two were angels who went down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and the guys wanted to have sex with them, okay? They, they were angels. And we've been told that, that we've shown hospitality to angels, and we didn't know it. So they didn't look like angels, okay? So maybe this actually is Satan that's taken on this form. Are you able to pull up Isaiah 14, verse 14? Uh, so this was his big sin, uh, he became violent, proud, but he said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. How could this finite created being think that he could actually be God? Uh, well, pride is a deceiver, and people who begin to engage in prideful thoughts start to think they're greater than they really are. I think... I think he thought he could actually be like God. And so to accomplish this, he would have to overthrow God's kingdom. He would have to defeat God in battle somehow. And so we get to the book of Revelation, Revelation 12. Uh, I didn't put Revelation 12.4, but in 12.4, how many of you have heard that a third of the angels went with him? Okay, it's Revelation 12.4. He comes as a dragon, and he, his tail draw, draws a third of the stars of heaven, it says. Stars in the Bible often are used figuratively to talk about angels. And so he, then he led a rebellion. A lot of Revelation then relates to the future, some the present. But scholars believe, many scholars believe this part was actually a flashback to something that had taken place before. Uh, and it says, and war broke out in heaven. I mean, th pause for a minute. Think of this incredible statement. War broke out in heaven. I mean, right? This was the first Star Wars. Uh, I hope God has it recorded. I want to watch it one day. But here, here's Satan, okay? Uh, comes in the form of a dragon. He has many disguises. He's called the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world. He came as a serpent in the Garden of Eden. I think the scariest of all his disguises is he, we're told he comes sometimes as an angel of light. Okay, He, he pretends to be believable and, and truthful and honest when he's been a murderer from the beginning. But war broke out in heaven. This is not the final battle. The final battle will be Jesus himself coming back on a white horse with the, uh, the name Faithful and True inscribed on his thigh. And that will be the final battle. But this is Michael, one of the other leader angels in heaven. And his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. Uh, but... They, they couldn't overcome. They couldn't prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So they were cast out. And they were cast to the earth. In Luke 10, 18, Jesus, uh, recalling this event, uh, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the heavens, he said. So he was sent to the earth. He is alive and well on this earth. His ultimate goal, I believe, is world domination. That's what he wants. He will seek to inhabit, possess human authority systems to use them for his purposes. Uh, 
in a society, government, education, the media, even the church, uh, business. He seeks to control a society by infiltrating these human authority systems. And in a global sense, every generation must face Satan in the form of the spirit of the Antichrist and world domination. This was the spirit behind those who had ambition to rule the world, like Napoleon and Hitler, and currently there are leaders, I don't want to mention, that uh, have been possessed by this same spirit of world domination. Uh, they usurp the place that belongs only to God. The earth is the fullness uh, and all that is in us. The, the, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in us, in it. Psalm 24, 1. Um, I believe one of the key roles of us as saints is to pray. And a praying church should ward off this spirit before we find ourselves in another world war. Okay, but, but this is often what is taking place behind the scenes. And what plays out in the natural is actually based on battles won or lost in the heavenly realm. When you talk like this, the dialectic intellectual person thinks you're nuts. But this is the language of Scripture. This is the explanation that the Bible puts forth of what is taking place on earth. So, Satan's goal is world domination. I think he already has his foot in the door <laughs> to an extent because of sin. When we sinned, and someone might say, but it wasn't us, it was Adam and Eve. Well, we would have also, and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. But when they sinned, the first people to sin, it empowered Satan on the earth. And it actually impacted the lives of every successive generation yet to be born. And, and God... Think of it, God made it easy, really, on Adam and Eve, didn't he? I mean, he stacked the deck for them. Uh, he only gave them one bad option. They could have eaten from any tree and, and forests of, you know, trees and different fruit, but they ate from the one forbidden tree that broke off their relationship with God and, and then brought death to the human race. It's the reason these bodies, and I talk about this also, one of the sources of suffering is our bodies are dying. Uh, I believe that breaks God's heart. But praise God, his answer is he's going to give us new bodies one day. Can you imagine this? With no, I mean, I can't wait to see how amazing you guys will look. <laughs> how amazing we're all going to look. Probably according to the original blueprint God had for what we should be physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But when Adam and Eve sinned, it had a huge impact. We're told also it impacted the physical world. Uh, Romans chapter 8 tells us the world is dying too. It's groaning under the, the weight of sin, groaning and decaying under the weight of sin. Sin had, sin had a huge impact on the world. Um, when Adam and Eve sinned, it also empowered the devil. Now, remember... He's not all-powerful. He's a finite created being, but he's still very powerful. And I want you to look at the scripture in Luke chapter 4. Are you able to put up Luke 4 verse 5 and then, then in a moment verse 6? So 
After Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River near Jericho, he is transported into the wilderness and Satan shows up. Satan tries to trick him, to, to trip him up by not, he doesn't tell lies, he, he mixes lies with truth. And he even used scripture out of context. But every time he used scripture out of context, Jesus came back with the logos, with the written word of God. And he said, it is written, and he refuted the lie of the enemy. In the midst of this, Satan makes this statement took him on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he, he had said, if you'll bow down and worship me, all this authority I'll give to you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. And you're waiting for Jesus to go, that is a lie, because everything else that he said that was a lie, Jesus refuted. Jesus doesn't refute that statement. Who gave this to him? We did. It started with Adam and Eve. But he is empowered on this earth. But just remember, 1 John 4, 4. Can you jump to that scripture? Greater is the one who is in us than the one who is in the world. And I don't want to ruin it for you, but in my Bible, I, I just couldn't wait. I flipped to the end, and we win. So... <laughs> Just, just so you know, you know that already. But the battle is taking place and Satan is empowered on this earth, blinding people, putting a veil over people's eyes. The gospel is veiled to the last because the God of this age has blinded them. Okay, so, so this is the explanation the Bible puts forth. God is infinite. Satan is not. He's a finite created being. So how does he get his power? Well, from original sin, but also on a regional level, geographical level, he's empowered by the evil acts of human beings. Sometimes it's for a period of time. Sometimes the map of the world, the spiritual map, shifts because there's revival. Or, or sometimes people begin to do evil things that empower him. So I've had the opportunity to travel a lot just because I'm working in a missions organization. I'm a missionary trainer, so I get to go to all types of places around the world. Um, and I've been to Africa over 30 times and three times to the nation of Sierra Leone. And I went there before the Civil War or, and then immediately after and then another time. You probably, if you remember... If you saw the movie Blood Diamond, it was about the conflict in Sierra Leone where a general from the neighboring nation of Liberia came in. Charles Taylor would drug kids. They became child soldiers because of the wealth and the diamonds of, of what was one of the most beautiful nations in Africa. And just the atrocities that were committed where they would basically cut everybody's arms off and people couldn't feed themselves and they'd die. And... But, but you could feel the presence of Satan there because of these inhumane acts that were perpetrated. Um, Satan is empowered in places and among people groups. My nation of Australia, uh, Aussies have 
a wounded spirit. I see a similar spirit in, uh, in, in Jewish people, the Irish people, and African Americans. That there is, there's a woundedness that's come out in other ways uh, that rejection has. But it's a wounded spirit. Uh, it came from our roots originally where Australia was a penal colony. If you stole a chicken in England or Ireland or Scotland, you got sent to Australia. Away from your family, never to see them again. It was a huge injustice. There are great injustices in the world that actually have impacted people groups. Satan mobilizes his forces according to demography and geography, according to groups of people and a map of the world. Carl Jung was a Swiss psychiatrist uh, during World War II, and he, he made a statement about the Third Reich, who had been involved in the occult and just the evil stuff that they were doing. And he said, a god has taken possession of the Germans. Now, it did during that time. Now, Germany historically was not that way, but a god, a, a false god, took possession of the Germans. And... Um, I believe it is a spirit that is seeking to control this nation and, and God has called us to be praying for this nation. Well, where do you find that in Scripture that this is geographical in nature? Well, I want to give you one Scripture uh, in Mark chapter 5. Jesus Sailing to the other side of the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, a storm comes up. Uh, you, you know that part of the story. They arrive on the other side in the, the, the area known as Gadara or the Gennesarenes who lived there. And there was a demon-possessed man came down from the burial tombs in Gadara. And Jesus said, what's your name? And the man said, Legion, for we are many, the demons spoke with him. And then this is the next thing the demons asked. The devil said, um, begged him earnestly, the, the demons did. Uh, it is actually, if, if you go back, it, it's it, not he. But it begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. That word there is Korah, which means land or geographical location. Why were the demons reticent to be sent out of that area? Could it be that the, the people there in Gadara who then lost the pigs when the demons went into the pigs and killed themselves, okay, they had been involved in evil acts that actually created a safe place, a beachhead for demons to operate? I think that's what happened because you know what? It fits. Have you traveled through a city or a nation and you can feel, you can feel a presence? Some of us feel it more than others. It's called a gift of discernment. You, you, can, you, you go, oh, I just feel something isn't right here. If you were to research the history of the place, you would see there are things that have been done there that actually have created a place for the demonic. Ah, oh, Peter, this is crazy stuff, isn't it? I want to tell you, it's real. Uh, and uh, how should we battle this? What is God's strategy? Because God always has a strategy to set people free. Okay, so here's what I believe is God's strategy. God has a strategy to win this war. 
But it's a strange strategy. It's a strange strategy because his plan is to use us, to use the church. He's decided that the church should take the lead. Why not angels? We, we were made lower than the angels. Hebrews 2.7 says even Jesus, when he came in this earthly body, came lower than the angels. Why not them? They're more powerful than we are. Uh, well, I don't know. You can ask God when you see him one day, but this is his strategy is to use us. Now, angels are going to assist us. And by the way, there are at least 100 million angels. 100 million. How did, how did you arrive at that figure? Well, we're told in Scripture that the number of the angels is 10,000 times 10,000. If you do the math, that's 100 million. There are at least 100 million angels around us. And that's 2,000 years ago. So there are more now. I'm sure God's created more. Uh, but we're the ones taking the lead. In Romans 16.20, the point is clear. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. God has called us to take that initiative. But angels come to minister alongside of us, to protect us, and also to battle with us. We don't see them most of the time, but they exist. We're surrounded by them. I, um, I had the privilege of... Uh, participating in a, a program with some other guys uh, where we did 365 five to seven minute podcasts of great men of God throughout history. It's, it's free every day. You can go, if you feel like as you're driving to work, you'd like to listen to one of these, it's totally free. It's, you have to go to 365, the number's 365christianmen.com. And uh, so I narrated about 60 of those. And uh, one of them, I'll tell you about one of them, because I read about the same guy in Billy Graham's book, uh, Angels, God's Secret Agents. And this was a missionary to the New Hebrides, which is today called Vanuatu. Vanuatu is one of the islands in what we call the liquid continent, the, the South Pacific. <laughs> There's about 30 nations in the liquid continent, and Vanuatu is one of them. It was originally called the New Hebrides. Pastor John Patton and his wife went to the Hebrides. They <clears throat> began witnessing to people, sharing the love of Jesus. But the natives, the chief, didn't like what they were doing. And one day, the chief and some of his warriors surrounded uh, John's house and uh, they had torches. They were going to burn it down. And John and his wife began to pray. And they prayed past midnight, one in the morning, two in the morning. They kept looking out the window. And the warriors were still standing there with torches. Six in the morning at daybreak, they left. Never destroyed their missionary house. <clears throat> About a year later, the chief came to Christ. And remembering what had happened... He asked, uh, John Patton asked him, what kept you from burning our house down? And the, the chief said, well, who were those men you had with you? And 
Pastor Pat and said, we didn't have any men. It was just my wife and me. No, the chief insisted there were large men standing around the perimeter of your house and we couldn't get close. Oh, they weren't men. They were angels. And so angels are there surrounding us most of the time, invisible, although some of us probably have come in contact with them because we've shown hospitality to some of them and we didn't know it. Uh, you know, if a guy walked through the door who was seven foot tall and white and had wings under the back of his T-shirt, you know, you'd think, ah, it's an angel. But if you didn't know it, he didn't look like an angel or she didn't look like an angel. So God's called us to take the lead. Well, he doesn't send us out defenseless, but he gives us powerful weapons with which we can fight. Well, what are those weapons? Well, for the sake of time, I just mentioned a few of them. One weapon is called discernment. Discernment is seeing things as they really are, not as they appear. Most people are just seeing with these eyes, but what is going on behind the scenes? Uh, <clears throat> 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. And see, a prophet in the Old Testament was originally called a seer, someone who was able to see some of these things going on. And so... Um, here in 2 Kings chapter 6, the servant of the prophet Elisha freaked out because he saw the enemy coming. And he ran and he said, what are we going to do? And Elisha didn't tell him, but he said, Lord, open the eyes of the boy. And scales fell, fell from his eyes. And go to, go to verse uh, 17. Scales fell from his eyes. And all of a sudden he could see into the spiritual realm. And he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around them. Wow. That's discernment, is the ability to see beyond the natural because often we're just seeing the results of things that are taking place in the spiritual realm. Uh, another weapon God has given to us is unified prayer. Unified, persistent prayer. Luke 18, 1, uh, guys in particular, we need to pray because uh, women tend to be more spiritually minded than us and we want to just go out and practically fix things. And Jesus said, I want men always to pray and not lose heart because prayer sometimes takes time and we can't give up too quickly. We have to keep on praying. Faith is Praying until dot, 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 <laughs> until you see the result. And so here's an incredible example of this in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel knew the prophecy that the children of Israel would be captive in Babylon how many years? 70 years. He knew this. This event, Daniel chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, took place about 68, between 68 and 69 years into their captivity. And Daniel begins to pray, and he prays for a week, nothing, 10 days, nothing's happening, two weeks. Well, something was happening. He just couldn't see it. But his, his prayers were fueling the, the archangel Gabriel fighting against the principality over that area, the prince of Persia. Finally, on the 21st day, Gabriel arrives on the scene, out of breath, <sighs> a little angel blood on his forehead. I might have made that part up, uh, but, but this is what he said. Daniel, the first day you started praying, God sent me. And Michael, 
We were resisted by the prince of Persia. And Michael had to come and help me. And we defeated him. And I uh, just heard that we have to go now and fight the prince of Greece. So see you later. Okay. So he leaves. What happened in the natural? Well, if you put history on top of the Bible, you see some amazing things. And this took place. And within two years of this event, the Neo-Babylonian Empire came to an end. It was overthrown by another kingdom. What a coincidence. It wasn't a coincidence. <laughs> it was that now Babylon was no longer under the prince of Persia. And the new king came in and he said, what are these people doing here? And this ethnic group, and, and they said, they're the slaves of the former king. And he said, let them go home. And that was the end of their diaspora. But it was predicated by this battle that we get to kind of look into that took place in the heavenly realm. Peter, this is craziness. No, I want to tell you, uh, this is the battle behind the battle that is going on. And to the, to the natural man who doesn't understand the things of the Spirit, this is craziness. But this is the explanation we're given many times for what is taking place. Another powerful weapon we have is repentance. Um, I don't know what the future holds, but I know what can impact the future, and that is repentance. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, you, you know this passage, I'm sure, where God said, if my people... See, how do you get a whole nation to repent? You don't have to. You just have to get the church to repent. <laughs> my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and heal their land is the word for the, the place where you live, the physical land. And the significance of this was, if you go back to the former verse, and I've got these in the New King James, but... Um, uh, can you go to, oh, there you go. Uh, no, it's uh, 2 Chronicles 7.13. Uh, yeah. When I shut up the heavens and there's no rain, so they were in a time of drought. I command locusts to devour the land. It, I send a pestilence. I like the NIV says a plague because that's what we've been encountering. When there's a plague, there's drought. God says, if my people, right, the next verse is, if my people humble themselves, I will heal their land. What happens in the natural through the church, taking the lead, has an impact on the world around us. And so some of that, we can't repent for somebody else, but there is a, there's something I discovered years ago. Uh, I didn't know what it was at the time, but I was on a, YWAM outreach in Argentina, and we were we were in the northern northwestern city of Cordoba, and the Argentine people are very proud people. They sort of look down their noses at some of the other nations around them because they're primarily European. And uh, God, there were three hundred of us that gathered in Cordoba to share the gospel. We go out on outreach. Talk to people about Jesus. People didn't want to hear any of it. There was a resistance to the Lord. And it was like 
who are you foreigners coming in here to tell us about this Jesus? And the Lord gave us a strategy, and this was the strategy. Tomorrow morning, go down to the central plaza in Cordoba and get on your knees and confess your own sins of prejudice and pride and anything else that God brings to you and then confess the sin of the Argentine people. And I want to tell you, I wish I haven't come across anyone who was taping this, but it was night and day. Hundreds of people were stopped to listen to our message after this and, and came to Christ. And it was, it was like the veil, the gospel is veiled to the last, the good news was ripped off and people were coming to Christ because you can't repent on someone else's behalf, but there's something that happens when we respond to God and repent and confess. It's an identification or confession for the way that we have turned away from God. So I wonder if we could do that this morning. Could you stand with me? And I'm, I'm going to hand this back to you, Chris, in a second. Lord, we thank you that you are a merciful and gracious God. The first time you ever described yourself to a human being was to Moses on Mount Sinai. And you said that you're merciful and gracious and good and just. We know the way you are. And God, sometimes we see that you, you have to bring judgment because it's the right thing. But you hate to do that. You want to show mercy. You say, if, so many times. And God, we want to. We want to pray for our loved ones. We want to pray for this city, for this nation, for the nations of the world. Lord, we, we recognize that we deserve to be punished. But God, would you show mercy once again because that's the way that you are. God, for America, most people here are probably Native Americans. For me as a someone who this is my adopted nation now. Lord, we want to pray that you would come and do whatever it takes. God, we think of the Jesus movement that happened 40-something years ago right here in this area of the world and spread throughout the world. Lord, would you do that again? Would you pour out your spirit once again? Not because we deserve it, not because we've done anything to earn it, but because this is your character. You are merciful and just and faithful and good and kind and gracious. We thank you, Lord, that you are greater than anything the enemy can do. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. But, Lord, we recognize that you want to work through us. And so we respond to you and say, Lord, use us, we pray. And, Lord, we don't, we don't accuse you for the suffering in the world that comes specifically through the powers of darkness. Lord, we see there is a battle and there are casualties. Use us, Lord, to rescue people who are being taken away to death. Use us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. Good being.